Okay, well, welcome everyone this weekend to Grace Church, Medina East Campus. And so whether you're outside, inside, or online, so glad that you're able to join us here uh, this weekend. And if you are just joining us, we're actually in the third week of this series that we've been in that's been called uh, Recalibrate. And uh, really, we said that this, uh, this series, that the goal of this series is actually very, very simple. And uh, I think the word itself, the word Recalibrate, really kind of truly reflects the goal and kind of what our aim is in this series. And so the definition, just a basic definition of the word, uh, recalibrate <clears throat> means to make adjustments or changes. It means to correctly reset something, to change or adjust the way you do or you think about something. So I think all of us know kind of what the word recalibrate means. But what we've been saying is that really in this season that we're in right now, this season as a society, this season as a church, if you think about it, in many ways, it's kind of been a little bit of a forced reset. And, and so now, as things are starting to kind of slowly reopen, and hopefully it continues to do that, as we begin to kind of rebuild our lives now, I think it's really important for us during this time not to simply race back to what we kind of knew before. I think it's important that in this time that maybe uh, we kind of stop and view this as an opportunity to recalibrate, right? To make adjustments and to kind of correctly reset our lives. And so uh, we've been saying, you know, maybe, maybe in this past season, there's been some things that have been subtracted from our lives that need not be re-added. We've been saying that, you know, maybe there's some things in our lives right now that have been added uh, that maybe shouldn't be subtracted. You know, maybe it's time for us to really rethink how we're building our lives. Maybe it's time for us to really kind of recalibrate uh, together. So the first week in this series, we, we basically said, for those of us who follow Jesus, and of course, I know that not everyone who's engaged in this message is maybe a follower of Christ. Maybe you're someone that's investigating Christianity. And if that's the case, by the way, we're so glad you're able to be part of the conversation. But we said, for those of us who follow Christ, when we talk about the idea of recalibrating, uh, we said that the place that we want to start is we actually want to begin by looking to something that is unchanging and is immovable, right? That the first step in recalibration is that you have to look at the perfect standard. You have to kind of do that. And so for those of us who follow Christ, we said the way that we do that is we begin by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so we actually talked about that in the first week together. And we said, this is where it all starts. Where do we set our focus, right? Where do we set our attention? Uh, where do we set, what is our goal? And we said that it is, it's Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's actually exactly what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. So we talked about that. And then basically what we said is, okay, so the question is, practically speaking then, how does someone do that? How do you live a life that is fixed on Jesus Christ? And so last week, we actually started talking practically about what does that look like? And we talked about the importance of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so last week, what we said is we said, hey, you know, as we think about recalibrating, and we think about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the beginning point for that is that we need to develop a pattern within our lives, in our calendars, and we need to develop a posture of sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is humbly coming to him, ready to receive what he has to say. So we talked about that all last week. And so let me just say again, if you missed the past couple of weeks, I would really encourage you to go back and check those out. I think it'll be very helpful. Uh, so this week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna build on the past couple of weeks and here's what I want to talk about today. Okay, so we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to sit at the feet of Jesus. So here's the next thing we want to talk about today, and that's this, is that as we recalibrate, we want to build our lives on what Jesus said. Okay, so we want to build our lives. We want to construct our lives on that which we have received from Jesus. 
Now, okay, so let me just say, this is a very simple concept. This message is going to be a very, very simple concept. In fact, I think as we listen, you might be listening, it may even sound, and I don't mean it to be, it might sound insultingly simple. But here's the thing, okay? And I want you to catch this. Even though this is an incredibly simple reality that we're going to be talking about today, it is so critically important and it is so often missed. So often missed. And so we got to get this one right, okay? This idea of building our life on what Jesus said. And so let me show you what I mean, what I'm talking about, and let me show you the importance of this. If you got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it, and I'll take you to the passage uh, where we're really going to see this played out, and that's here in Matthew chapter 7, okay? So if you have a Bible, I would really encourage you to go ahead and open that up, get that in front of you, or feel free to use your Bible app, and to go ahead and get to Matthew chapter 7, all right? So as you're turning to Matthew 7, um, I'll just kind of tell you kind of quick, in my house, little, kind of a little story, uh, in my house uh, here in Medina, it's the only house that I have, <laughs> the one in Medina, uh, several months back, uh, probably over a year ago or more, uh, my wife and I actually noticed something uh, by the door frame around one of the bathrooms of our house. And what we noticed, or I should say what my wife noticed, was that there was this crack that had started to form uh, up in the corner. In fact, I, I'll, I'll show you a picture of this crack from a little while ago. So this is, this is it. It's up in the corner. I don't know if you can see that where you're at, but that's a little crack. And, uh, and let me just say, okay, I'll just kind of preface this. I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, a super handy person. Okay, never have been. I'm not real knowledgeable as it relates to these things. But my wife pointed this thing out to me. And my first thought was, well, that doesn't look so bad. It doesn't look too bad. And, uh, and even though I'm not handy at all, when I, when I saw that, I thought, you know, I bet you I could patch that up. I bet you I could. I bet you I could go to Home Depot, get this stuff, and, you know, YouTube the thing. I could patch that thing up by myself. But here's the thing, all right? Now, some of you uh, some of you know way more about construction than I do. And my guess is if that's you, when you saw that, you chuckled. And the reason is because you probably thought what my wife thought, which, by the way, my wife happens to know more about construction than I do. And that's, I'll be honest, a little hard to admit, but it's true, so I got to say it. But, uh, but he- here it is, okay, is that even though this might look like a relatively small crack in the wall, uh, and even though it's something that I could patch up, as unhandy as I am, uh, it's very possible and actually likely that this little crack in the wall is actually indicative of a much deeper issue. See, what every builder knows, what every construction expert knows, what every website will tell you is that a crack, especially in the corner of a door frame or in a window frame, is often the telltale sign of a problem that's happening in the foundation of your home, right? That's usually what's going on. And so if that was the case, I mean, I could do the patchwork. I could go to Home Depot and I could cover it up. I could fix this crack. But if what we're talking about here is a foundational issue, something that's happening in the foundation, then these cracks are just going to keep showing up. And unless I actually address the foundational issue, see, that's the issue, is that it is a foundational issue. It's something that's happening underground. It's something that's happening under the surface that's manifesting itself on the top levels, on the upper levels of of the house. So, all right, so why do I tell you that? I tell you that because if you can get your mind around that illustration for a second, um, I want you to think about this with me for a moment, all right? What happens when we begin to see cracks in the walls of our life? What happens when we start to see cracks in our marriage, in our home, in our life, in our, what happens when we start to see cracks in our world, in our society? 
What do we do when we see that? I think, honestly, uh, we could easily say that right now, as a society, we are seeing some pretty big cracks in our world right now, aren't we? I mean, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of fractures. Uh, there's division politically, for sure. There always is. Uh, culturally, I think we, we see it. Racially, there's strong tensions, division. We see that uh, kind of within our society. Some of us right now, we don't just see it in our world. Some of us are experiencing it in our lives. There's cracks in the walls of our marriage. There's cracks, fractures in relationships, maybe broken families. Maybe for some of you, you're experiencing some of that right now. There's cracks showing up in the walls of your life. And here's the thing is um, we can try to patch those things up. We can try to address those with uh, seminars and programs and protests and demonstrations and counseling and political agendas and all that stuff. But have you noticed that despite our best efforts, it just seems like these cracks keep coming back, right? They just keep manifesting themselves. And sometimes they show up in deeper and even more severe ways than before. And so we can spend all of our life trying to repair cracks, trying to address the surface issues. But the question that I want to talk to us today, and I believe the question that Jesus is going to help us process through is, are these cracks symptomatic of a deeper issue? Is there something deeper going on? And if so, how do we deal with the foundational problem to avoid simply re repeatedly doing the patchwork in our lives or in our world or in our families? How do we, how do we do that? So the passage we're going to see today here in Matthew 7, Jesus is going to talk to this. And uh, let me give you just a little bit of context before we read this. Uh, the passage we're going to read is a short passage. It's right at the end of maybe Jesus's most famous sermon. Okay, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just say, if you're new to the Bible, if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, my goodness, you have to read it. It is amazing. It's Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And like I said, it's the most famous sermon Jesus gave. And in a lot of ways, a way to think of the Sermon on the Mount is it's kind of like um, the most important things that Jesus ever taught in a consolidated collection. It's kind of the, it's kind of like the heart of the summary of the heart of his teaching about life, about relationships, about loving God, about loving others, about mission, about prayer, about blessing, about all of that. And it's all kind of consolidated in one place. Here, here's how I like to think of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if this is, <laughs> this is entirely accurate, but I like to think of it as Jesus's greatest hits. This is like the best stuff he ever said on, on, and basically all of his teaching kind of summarized in one sermon. And so what we're going to look at is actually the summary of that message. And the way that Jesus ends this sermon is very unique. And quite honestly, it's a little bizarre. Here's, here's what he says. Let's take a look. We'll start off in verse 24. So Jesus, at the end of the sermon, he says, therefore, this is his big conclusion. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. He goes on, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew against, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as someone who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And that's how he ends his message. He actually, it's interesting, he ends his sermon <clears throat> kind of open-ended with this kind of short story, this little parable. 
And I want to break it down a little bit for us here because it's a powerful, familiar, but powerful little parable. And in this analogy, you see that Jesus introduces us to two builders, right? Two builders. And the two builders, he's going to, we're, he's going to, as we're going to see in the Bible, Jesus identifies as the wise builder and, and the foolish builder. And I'll tell you, when we dig into this passage, I think what we're going to see is that even though these two builders, uh, even though they're categorized in two categories by Jesus, wise and foolish, they actually have, at first, when, when you, when you look at this passage, they actually have a lot in common. These two guys. So I want you to notice before we look at the difference between these two, I want you to actually look with me for a moment at the similarities that they share. They share a lot. So first off, I want you to notice that uh, we're going to see in this passage that they, these two builders actually had the same goal. The Bible's going to say that they began with the same goal. I want you to notice the parallelism. If you take a look at verse 24 and then down at verse 26, Jesus uses almost the exact same language uh, to speak of these two men or these two builders. And so what does he say? He says, well, the wise man built his house, the foolish man built his house. And so, and so what you see here is that both of them set out with the same goal. They had the same end vision of building a house. Now, uh, what I think is, is, is pretty interesting is the word house that's used here is a very generic term. It literally just means dwelling is what it means. And I think it's probably pretty obvious that in this parable, uh, the word house symbolizes uh, building a life, right? It's the life that you build. But here's what I think is interesting, is through the Bible, we actually see that the idea of a house represents uh, pretty much every aspect of life throughout the Bible. So just give you a couple examples. So in the Bible, uh, when it talks about the family, like building a family, it talks about the idea of a household. So in the Bible, it'll talk about your family as a household. So husbands and wives and parents and children, that's sometimes called the household. Um, and so that's a part of life. Uh, in the Bible, sometimes it'll use the word house to talk about the church. And so uh, the Bible will say that the church is the household of faith, or that it's a spiritual house that God is building. Um, in fact, did you even know in the Bible, sometimes nations are referred to as houses. And so Israel was called the house of Israel or the house of David. And so uh, what I'm trying to get at here, what I'm trying to tell you is that in the Bible, and in this, I think in this parable, a house is the idea of building a life, but it's a whole life, right? It's, it's all of it. It's everything. It's, it's building a family. It's building a career. It's building a spiritual life. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And I want you to notice that in this passage, both of these builders were setting out to build a house. So here's what I know about both of these builders, and here's what I know about you and me as well. This is true. Here's what I know about every single person who is engaged in this message right now, right? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and here, here's the truth. Every single one of us is building a house. We are all building a life. It's one thing that we all have in common. And some of us are thinking about that, and some of us aren't thinking about that, but it's true. It's all of us, all of us are involved in a huge building project of our lives. And here's what I know. You're a builder, and I'm a builder, and we're all builders. If your name is Bob, you're Bob the Builder. And that was like the worst, I don't even know where that came from. It was like the worst thing ever. So forgive me for that. But, but yeah, we, we all are building something. We're building a life. And here's the thing. I'm guessing just like these guys, just like these two builders in this passage, nobody, nobody sets out to build a life planning for it to end in ruin. Nobody does that. These two builders both set out with the goal to build a life, to build a house, they didn't have the goal. They didn't have the, the vision in the end that it would end in 
disaster. And I think in the same way, none of us start our lives planning for it to fall apart. None of us do that. No one, no one starts off in life and says, you know what my goal in life is? My goal is that my life eventually all falls apart and ends in shambles. No one says that. No one starts a marriage that way, do they? No one starts off on their wedding. I've, I've done a lot of weddings. I've never seen anyone start off on their wedding day and say, you know, I, I'm just so excited to get married, but my hope is that my plan is that in 10 or 20 years from now, that this marriage becomes just cold and lifeless and eventually ends in divorce. No one says that. And yet it does happen, doesn't it? You know, no, no one who starts a family holds their little bundle of joy in their arms in the delivery room and says, you know, my plan is that this little bundle of joy will eventually grow up in about 20 or 30 years. My hope is that we'll have an estranged relationship and we won't be on speaking terms. And yet, yet that does happen, doesn't it? No, no, one, no one sets out and says, you know what my plan in life is? My plan is to have fun and dabble in some things, but eventually to find myself in a place where I'm addicted to something, substance or something, and eventually that's going to wreck my life and it's going to steal away from me everything that's good. No, no, all I'm saying is no one plans for that. Right? No one sets out with that. We're all building our lives and, and, and none of us have the goal of it falling apart and crumbling. I think it's the same with these builders. Right? They didn't set out with that goal. Yet you see that they started with that same vision to build a life, to build a house. Right? So that, that's definitely one similarity that we see in this. And you know, I think in Jesus's analogy that we see here, it's very possible that, you know, um, when, when upon completion of their homes, these two houses may have looked identical. To the naked eye, we maybe couldn't tell the difference between these two homes and between these two houses. So we see they started off with the same goal. Now, I want you to notice something else, though. Not only they had the same goal, they also had the same message. You're going to see that in this parable, both of these builders had the same information. I actually find this really fascinating. All right, I want you to notice, at least in this parable, that both of these builders heard the same message. They heard the same teaching from Jesus. Again, notice the parallelism. With the wise builder, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. With the foolish builder, everyone who hears these words of mine. Now, this is a really interesting point because I think what we see in this passage, and this is so important, I want you to, to catch this, okay? We see in this passage that the difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder was emphatically not that one heard the words of Jesus and the other one didn't. That's not the difference. The difference is not that one had the information and the other one didn't. No, that's not the case. Now, let me just say, just to clarify, okay, it is extremely important that we hear the words of Jesus. We talked about this last week, right? It is so important. In fact, it's crucially important that we sit at the feet of Jesus and we humbly hear and receive his word and not just run our own agendas in our life, the whole Mary and Martha thing like we talked about last week. Right? We have to start there. But can I tell you that I think this passage clearly reveals to us that while we have to start there, we can't end there. We can't end there. See, because what you see here is it's not that the, the wise builder was one who heard the words of Jesus and the foolish one was the one who, who hadn't. No. They both heard the same information. They were both hearers of this word. And they were both familiar with and they understood the things that Jesus said. And yet the Bible's going to tell us they had dramatically, dramatically different results. Okay, so, so we notice these guys had the same goal, the same message. And I notice this one, they had the same storm. They had the same storm, right? In other words, <clears throat> both builders were subjected to the same forces of nature. 
And once again, just notice this, notice the parallelism. But in both situations, both builders experienced the exact same storm. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house. Exact same language that's talked about here. And so here Jesus uh, uses his imagery, and the imagery is that of a storm. Now, let me just say, uh, and my guess is you probably know this already, even if you're not a Bible person, but in the Bible, the imagery of a storm uh, is often used to talk about hardships that we face in life. So storms represent trouble, they represent tragedy, um, challenges, difficulties, trials, all of those things would be categorized as the storms in life. And I want you to notice that, that these storms, notice, they are certain. Okay, so the, Jesus doesn't say, and so they built their house, and if it just so happened that a storm came, that's not what he says. He says, when the storms came, the storms came. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, it, is it's not a matter of if, but it is a matter of when. Storms in life are inevitable. It, it has been accurately said that you are either currently in a storm, that you are coming out of a storm, or that you're about to go into a storm. And I think anyone who's lived life for any amount of time knows that that's true, that life is full of storms, trouble, tragedy, trial, challenge. Jesus said this. He said, in this life, there will be trouble. There's going to be storms, and that is a certainty. And let me just say right now, um, and some of you are in a storm right now. And maybe, maybe you're navigating some really choppy waters, and you're in a place where, where man, it is a storm. Maybe you're a person who is just entering a storm right now. And maybe for you, I mean, even this past week, you know, last week you were in one place and you would never think that you're in the place you're in this week because, man, the storm hit. It was a storm hit. Maybe right now you're in the middle of a storm. You've been in one for quite a time, quite some season right now, and it feels like it's just never going to pass and you're waiting for this storm to go. Maybe for you, <laughs> you're, you're about to go into one. Listen, all I'm saying is this, is it's coming, all right? The storms, the, Jesus says this, we're all going to get this, all right? But I want you to notice in this passage, I want you to notice that this storm Jesus talks about is a heavy-duty storm. So, so look what he says. He says, the rains came down, the streams rose up, and the wind blew against the house. So do you see this? This is a heavy-duty storm. This is coming from all sides, Right? This is up, down, sides, this blast in this house. This is like hurricane-conditioned weather. And can I just tell you something I thought when I was studying for this, 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 uh, this sermon? I, I was reading this verse, and I thought, you know what? I think this, this right here is a pretty good description of 2020 so far, isn't it? I mean, think about that, man. As a society, isn't it true? Man, we're getting blasted on all sides, the, storm, the, 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 the water's coming up, the rain is coming down, is blasting against all of that. And so I'm just saying 2020 is the year of the storm. So welcome to storm season. That's where we're all at right now. And so we see that, right? We see it here in this passage. And so these houses have a lot in common. They have a lot in common. And yet I want you to notice that Jesus is going to tell us that even though they have the same goal, even though they have the same message and the same information, and even though they ha they're experiencing the same storm, one of the builders is foolish and one of the builders is wise. Now, why is that? Well, as much as they have in common, there's one big difference. That's it, just one, one big difference. And what is it? Well, uh, notice here in our passage. The wise man built his house on the rock, and it didn't fall because its foundation was on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand, and it fell with a great crash. So do you notice the difference is all about, it's about the foundation. 
It's about what, what they built on. And, and what was visible from the outside of the house looked probably the same, but it will, it's what was hidden. It was, it's what was under the surface that made all of, of the difference. And this is a parable here. Jesus actually, uh, commentators point out, Jesus most likely was uh, utilizing his surroundings while he was preaching this sermon as an object lesson. And so uh, the Sermon on the Mount, commentators say, they actually, they actually think they know the spot where Jesus would have taught this. And uh, this is actually a picture of the spot. It's uh, right here by the Sea of Galilee. And uh, most likely, Jesus would have taught the Sermon on the Mount here or someone near here. Okay, so somewhere like that. So you can see that um, when the people were listening to Jesus preach this sermon, they would have had a great view of the Sea of Galilee. And in this region, uh, around the Sea of Galilee, there was this uh, alluvial sand that surrounded the seashore. And it actually was no notoriously, back in, in this time and even to this day, it's notoriously rock hard on the surface during dry, arid times. So this is a region of the world that most of the time it's pretty dry and pretty arid. And so this sand becomes like, like rock hard. And, uh, but when the storms hit, which, by the way, in this region right here, it's notorious for just these sudden and violent storms to come in. Um, the land, when, when it does that, the land can't absorb the rain fast enough, and so it causes flash floods. The rivers that, that feed into the Sea of Galilee will overflow, and what would happen is a lot of times people who build their houses along the coast, they would get washed away. And so back at this time, a wise builder would dig down, sometimes, you know, 10 feet below the surface of the sand to bedrock below, and then would establish a foundation for his house, uh, and it would be able to withstand, withstand the floods. In fact, um, maybe this is kind of a quick nerd note, but I thought it was kind of, kind of cool. You know, back in 1978, the Israel water system uh, was putting in a sanitation system and uh, or a, a sewage kind of system uh, and to channel some pipes and those kind of things. And so they were digging down by the Sea of Galilee to a depth of about 10 feet. So they actually went underneath the water table and they uncovered uh, stone bedrock that they discovered was used in times of antiquity for foundations of houses. And so I just thought that was kind of cool because it, it just validates that back in this time, that would have been the common practice, the building practice for wise builders. All I have to say, here's, here's Jesus's point. Okay, I think when you get to this, what Jesus is saying is, listen, everyone's building a life. You're building a life, I'm building a life, everyone's building a life. That's not the question. Here's the question that this parable is causing us to ask. Uh, what are you building your life on? What is it? And Jesus says that the wise person builds their house on the rock. Now, let's think about this with me for a second. When Jesus says you should build your life on the rock, what is he saying? What is he actually saying? What does that mean? What is the rock, according to Jesus? And, uh, you know, here's what's interesting. Some people would say, uh, well, the rock, the rock is God, right? That's building your life on God. And, uh, and let me just say, yeah, I think that's true. I would agree with that. Uh, the Bible actually calls God our rock. There's a lot of passages, especially in the Psalms, where you see that. I think that's true. Some people, you could also say that the rock is Jesus, building your life on Jesus Christ, which makes sense as well. In the New Testament, the Bible actually calls Jesus the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone, the foundational rock of our faith. So I think you could say, then all that's true. All that's true. But, but here's what I want you to notice in this passage, Okay. In this passage, according to Jesus, it's actually a little bit more than that. He, he's, he's actually a little more specific. So, so notice here what he says. 
So therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the, that should be sand. That's what that says. But, but here, here's, here's what I want you to see. All right. Do you notice? Do you notice what the rock is? What does it say? Does it say, whoever hears these words of mine builds his house on the rock? No, that's, that's not what it says. We talked about this already. Both of these guys heard. They, they heard the word of God. Both of them did. So, so what's the difference? Notice, what does it say? Whoever hears these words of mine and, what is it? Puts them into practice. And whoever does not put them into practice. See that right there? There's the key. There's the key. So in this passage, what is the rock? Well, I think you see it here. The rock is not just hearing the word of God, it's, it's obedience to what Jesus said. That's the rock. And, and, and yes, God is the rock, and yes, Jesus is the cornerstone, and yes, we should sit at his feet and we should listen to his word. But what he's saying is without action and without obedience to those words, without actually building your life on it, you miss the point and you miss the proper foundation. I think it's interesting in uh, James chapter 1, we actually see a very, very sim- similar idea I think really is probably an echo of what Jesus says here. Here's what James says. He says, a very great, great passage. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says, do what it says. So in other words, he says, don't just listen. Don't just, don't fool yourself by just listening to the word. There's actually gotta be action with it. And, and let me just say this. If, if you're a person who hears the words of Jesus and, and you feel stirred in your heart, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If you hear the words of Jesus and that inspires you, or if you feel convicted, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If you come here to the Medina East Campus or to other churches and you hear messages about the Bible and it stirs something in you and you feel convicted, even right now, if you just sense that, man, like God, God is somehow interacting with you through this, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. So don't hear me wrong, but let me just tell you, it's not the end. It's only the beginning of what God is trying to accomplish. That's why he says, don't just listen to the word. Don't just be convicted by the word. Don't just be inspired by the word. And so deceive yourselves. You got to do what it says. You got to do something about it. I'll tell you what I love here real quick. The, the term to do, uh, do what it says in the Greek language is actually this one word. And it's this idea. And it literally means uh, the, the word uh, to do what it says is the word that means one who makes something. It's the idea of a builder or a creator. And I think that that's a direct reference to Matthew 7. Because what he's saying is, don't just be a hearer, but be a builder. Be a constructor of the word, right? Build your life on what Jesus said. And I think what he's saying is, listen, we have to act on it. And, and, and again, I told you, I told you this is simple. I told you this is so simple. But for whatever reason, as simple as this sounds, and as obvious as this is, it is just so often missed, so often missed. I thought it was, it was fascinating. There's a, a book came out a long time ago by a guy named Neil Postman. And the book is called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's been around for a long time. But basically, this is a, it's a really good book. It's kind of a social commentary on the impact of uh, the age of information and how that's really had an impact and an effect on us. And he actually talks about this. He actually talks about something that's called the information to action ratio. That's what he calls it. Now, I'm not going to get into all the specifics, but I thought this was fascinating. Basically, what he's pointing out 
is that with the incredible rise of information in this age that we find ourselves in, and, and man, if you do the studies on it, the amount of information that we take in compared to that which people took in 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 100 years ago is just mind-boggling. But what he says is that, that basically all the information that we take in right now, that we have been trained and we are now accustomed to taking in a ton of information. And, and so, uh, and, and, and not really doing anything about it. And so, for example, let me just give you an example. Now that we have media, we have social media, we have technology, we have the internet, we have video games, we have audiobooks, we have sermon podcasts. Now that we have all this information, now the news, we know what's going on everywhere in the world. It used to be, I mean, even 100 years ago, you know, news would have been like what was happening in your neighborhood. It was what was happening around you. That was what was new. That was the news. But now, the first thing in the morning, we already know what's happening in Atlanta. We know what's going on in Washington, D.C. We see what's happening in Seattle. We know what's going on on the other side of the world. We know what's happening in South Korea. We know what's happening, the protests that are happening in, in Europe. We know about all of those things. And basically, what it's done is it's created a further disconnect between information and between action. We are used to seeing something. We are used to hearing something, getting information about something, being emotionally moved by it, whether it's anger or sadness or whatever it might be, and then doing nothing. We're used to this, right? We're kind of trained for it in the information age. And I think all I'm saying is what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is saying, listen, you cannot approach my teaching that way. You just can't. It's good if it moves you. It's good if it convicts you. It's good if you hear it and you're familiar with it. It's even good if you memorize it. But you got to do something about it. You have to build your life on the bedrock of the practices of what Jesus has actually taught, what Jesus has said. You have to practice the thing. And Jesus is going to show us, I think in this passage, that the reason this is such a big deal is because what you build your life on will determine how you weather the storm. I think Jesus loves us enough to tell us this. In fact, notice what he says in, in this passage. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. They beat against that house, and it fell down with a great crash. Now, can I just tell you here, I don't think Jesus' words are, uh, I don't think Jesus is trying to be harsh here. I don't think that's what he's trying to do. I think Jesus is just being honest. I think Jesus loves us enough to tell us how it is. And I think, honestly, sometimes we make the big mistake of waiting until the middle of a storm to try to address the issue. Sometimes I think we wait until the storm hits to ask the foundational questions and to try to make changes. But can I tell you that I think we see in this passage that Jesus loves us enough that he wants to tell us not, to, not what to do in the storm, but what to do before the storm. He's most concerned with the foundation that we lie, that we build our lives upon. You know, I think, I think it's kind of interesting. If you think about a foundation, like a foundation is where you start, right? That's where you start. Uh, and in this parable, you have one person who's wise and one that's fool, a foolish person. And why? Well, the reason is because of where they started. It's, it's all about the foundation. And, and I just tell you, oftentimes, I think we want to address issues in our lives. We want to address the cracks in our walls with the Bible. And so we'll say, well, maybe I can use the Bible to patch this up or the Bible to, to help address this thing. 
use, you know, use the words of Jesus to patch up the cracks in the wall of whatever problem it is that I'm facing. But I want you to understand that that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that's not how you approach my word. It's a foundational problem. For those of us who follow Christ, we have to start. We have to start in the right place. Listen to me, on issues of race, on issues of sexuality, on issues of justice, on issues of human life and human dignity, on the biggest issues that we are facing today. Listen, a lot of times we start in the wrong place. We just start in the wrong place. We start with politics. We start with our opinions. We start with history. We start with the cultural consensus. We start with philosophy. And let me just say, those things have their place. I'm not, not saying that. But for those who follow Jesus, Jesus is saying we have to start with what he said. And we have to build from there. That's the starting point. We have to allow Jesus' word to determine who we are, how we live, how we understand and view ourselves and the world, others, and God. Because, listen, here, here's the thing. He knows. Jesus knows. And he tells us storms are going to hit. And when they hit, because they will, storms will reveal and they will expose the strength of the foundation that you're building your life on. Listen, here's what all of us know. Storms are going to shake you. They will. They're going to shake you to the core. And they're going to reveal what your life is built on, for better or for worse. And if, you, if we build our lives on things like, man, like financial security or comfort or human opinion or philosophy or, or my incessant need for control, if I build my life on those things, listen, Jesus is going to say, listen, those things are as stable as shifting sand. And they'll be exposed when the storm hits. And so, so here's, here's how I want to end, Okay. In light of everything we've talked about, I just want to ask you three questions, okay, three questions. And in light of everything we said, I think this is worth your consideration. So the first one is this. All right, what are you building your life on? Basic, easy question, but think about it. What are you building your life on? We're all building a life. And what is the foundation in which you're building upon? Are you or are you not building your life on the words of Jesus? Are you or are you not coming to his teaching and adopting his vision for life and humanity and his mission and his agenda in this world? I think it's an important question, especially for those of us who follow Jesus. It's a really important question. Here's the second one. This question is specifically for those of us who follow Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, is there an area in your life you feel convicted by Jesus' teaching where action needs to be taken? Like, is there, and I can't answer that for you. But I would just ask you maybe even now to really think about that. Maybe even would you do this? Ask God to help you with this. Is there an area in your life? Maybe it's been a very long time. Maybe it's been years that you have felt convicted by Jesus' teaching in an area and there's an action that needs to be taken. Maybe for you it's something that's more recent. Regardless, can I just tell you this? I just want to help you out. All right, let me just be clear. There is no sermon. There is no book. There is no podcast. There is no worship song that's going to transform you. You have to do something with it. And can I just cast a little vision here? And I just want to say this with all the love in my heart. I believe for some of us, we might be one faith step away from the life change that God desires in our life. And so I think we've got to ask that question in light of Jesus' teaching. Are we actually building our lives on this? Not just do you know it, not just have you heard it. But are we putting it into practice? Okay, and here's the third one. This third question is for those who maybe, uh, it's for all of us, but I think especially maybe if you're someone investigating Jesus, is this, do you, need, do you need a new foundation? 
Um, do you need that? Are there cracks in your life that, that maybe it's, it's symptomatic that there's something going on under the surface? You know, um, maybe for some of us, we found that through this last season and through the storms that maybe we faced, it's exposed what you've been building your life on, and it's exposed that it's unstable. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, I think Jesus, Jesus' vision for your life, and he loves you, is that when storms hit, that we don't collapse. That when the job is lost, that when the pandemic hits, that when the quarantine begins, that when the diagnosis comes, that when tragedy strikes, that when the hurt is real, that that we're anchored in something that's immovable, that there's a rock. Jesus loves us enough to tell us that. And I just tell you, this I got to be real clear on this too. Jesus's way does not lead you out of hardship. It does not. But it leads you through it. It leads you through it. All right. And I think that's what Jesus wants for us. I'll end with this last quote. Um, so Tony Evans, phenomenal, phenomenal communicator and author and preacher in Texas, wrote a book called Detours. And in that book, he gave this phenomenal analogy about a punching bag. And so uh, he talks about when he was a little kid, how his dad got him one of these punching. You guys remember these things? I don't know if you had one as growing up. It's kind of weighted on the bottom. I love what he says. Here's what he says about this. He says, when I was a boy growing up in Baltimore, my father bought me a blue punching bag. I love that bag. No matter what I did to it, it kept coming back. I hit it with a boom, and it would hit the floor with a bam. He says, but then it would always bounce back with a bing. And then he says this. I love this. He says, no matter what I did to it, it kept coming back. And the reason it did this is because there was a weight at the bottom that was heavier than the air at the top. So no matter what I did to it up at the top, the bottom part determined where things wound up. And I love what he says here. He says, I can guarantee you that somewhere down the line, something in your life is going to go boom, and you'll hit the floor with a bam. But if you're on the right foundation, you'll keep coming back with a bing. Keep your spiritual foundation strong, and you will always rise from the challenges that you face. Can I just tell you, I think that's the vision that Jesus has for those who build their life on him. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, thanks that you love us enough and you care about us enough that you would tell us, uh, Lord, not just how to endure the storm when we're in the storm, but to tell us how to build our lives before the storm. And uh, Lord, the truth is we see, we can see that there's cracks in our world. There's cracks in our society, Lord. We feel it. There's cracks in our own lives, God. And I think we recognize that all of our best attempts to try to solve these problems just seem to lead to greater cracks. Father, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers, to be constructors, to build a life on what you said. Father, I pray for maybe the person who's in this room right now who, man, Lord, their foundation is being exposed and they see that it's sand. Father, I know you love them enough and you care so much about each one of us that you want us to run to you. Just so not that we find judgment, but that we find life. So I pray that we do that here today, Lord. So thank you for each person who's connected to this this weekend. Pray blessing over everyone who's connected right now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.